Today I am talking with another officer who recently left the Seattle Police Department. We discuss why he originally made the move from his hometown in Alabama to join SPD, only to have to make the tough decision to leave due to the lack of support of the community and the challenges with being able to effectively police in Seattle, the details of which we will get into. This officer is also one of two SPD officers that Metro bus driver Eric Stark credits with saving his life after Eric was shot while driving the bus in March 2019. I wanted to get this officer's perspective on responding to that call. And as I always do, I ask him why he became a police officer and what the rewards have been. Officer, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I thought we would start with the incident I just mentioned in the open, the one I spoke with your fellow responding officer about, and that is the shooting of Metro bus driver Eric Stark in March 2019. Your partner gave me a fair amount of detail, and I talked with Eric about his experience in episode eight, but I wanted to hear a little bit about it from your point of view. On that day, how did the call come out? I was actually at the precinct when it came out. There was something not right about the transmission. So I kind of I stopped about halfway in the locker room before I got to my locker, and I was like, yeah, something's just not right about that. And then the uh, dispatch supervisor got on the radio and said, hey, we've just got a call from King County saying a bus driver has been shot and there's been multiple shots fired. So that's when I kind of knew that there was something going on. When you say there's something not right about that, it was a gut feeling that you had? When they were you know, transmitting it over the radio, there was like this, this pause where they were kind of like, this seems a lot more serious than just a shots fired call. Just their tone, and I kind of picked up on that. That's when I was like, yeah, this is for real. Your fellow responding officer, your partner, said that he was able to assess that it was safe for him to get on the bus and did so because he felt that whoever the bus driver was needed immediate attention. You then have to clear the bus to make sure there's no shooter on the bus. Or you tell me, you were the one there. So... As I was coming into the area, officers that were with the suspect that did the shooting, they said, hey, we need to find the bus. We have enough people here with the suspects. We need to find the other scenes. So as they were saying that, I had just happened to be coming up to the bus. And there was this one specific guy standing in front of the bus, like waving us down. It, it wasn't right the way he was just like standing in front of the bus, like flagging us down. So I, I knew that there was something wrong there. So I, as I started to pull up to the bus, I saw the gun, the gun holes in the windshield. And that's when I was like, oh, well, that's the bus. And, you know, I pulled over, hopped out of the car and I was going up towards the uh, bus and you get laser focused tunnel vision. But I do remember one guy saying there's nobody else on the bus. Just all I really knew was that there was somebody on the bus that was injured pretty badly, so I needed to get on there as soon as I could, so. I'm sure you know this. Eric has talked about how your, what he calls drawl, your southern drawl, and your sort of natural pleasant face was um, very calming to him. Yeah, and it was so funny because obviously I get some cracks and jokes about my southern accent and stuff up here, but um, he came in a f maybe a couple of weeks later after that, this is before we had even met and everything, 
and there was a room full of 15 to 20 of us, and he pointed me. I was like, I remember your face and your draw, but I don't remember anybody else. So I, I kind of laughed because, you know, everybody in the room, I was like, y'all y'all see that, right? Like, he he remembers me, and I comforted him with my accent. So y'all give me crap all the time, but it comes in handy every now and then. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we should talk about how you got into law enforcement and where you got that nice, comforting accent. Where did you start out and what made you get into law enforcement? Well, I'm I'm originally from uh, Alabama, a pretty uh, rural place. You know, as far as like becoming a police officer, my dad used to watch cops when I was a kid. Like, I mean, I, I remember being like three, four, five years old watching cops. The lights and sirens, the driving fast, all the, you know, the cool stuff, obviously. But then there were a lot of different factors that played into it, I guess. I liked helping people. I went to church a lot, grew up in a Southern Baptist home. My parents always kind of, not just my parents, my, you know, my family, my grandparents kind of instilled in me the importance of, you know, having high morals, taking care of people, especially people in need. In church, I I went on some mission trips gone to Mexico, built churches, and gone to foster homes. Just kind of been raised in that. I think that played a big part in it. My high school also was really big on high character. I think just that whole mix on top of also, you know, enforcing the law and holding people accountable for their actions. A whole mix of things of why I became a police officer. So when you say the reason you went into law enforcement and wanting to help and this religious upbringing and your goals with the profession, here you are, this person wanting to do good and your profession is is under attack. So how does that feel? I mean, I've been a police officer for eight years now. I remember I started in 2013, the Ferguson incident in Missouri, that happened in 2014. So it seems like a lot of my career has been a year or so, and then like a a major incident happens. And then riots, protests, and then, you know, it'll die down for a little bit. And then about a year later, something else will happen. And, you know, I'm speaking to people that have been in policing for like 20, 30 years. And it seems that it's always kind of a pendulum swing, you know, because the speaking to people that have been doing it for a long time, they talk about that and how it changes a lot. And, I, and I've seen that in eight years. It's really a back and forth kind of thing. So how do you manage that? Just go with the flow. <laughs> Just, I guess, remember why you became a police officer, which is it's really easy to forget. The new agency that I work for now, the first day that I was working there, we had a class, and it was kind of one of those things where you had to remind yourself why you became a police officer, write out why you want to be a cop, and then five years from now, you get burned out, look back at it. But for me, coming into this new department as somebody with eight years of experience, uh, it was a, it was good for me because I was able to sit back and be like, this is why I became a police officer. And I, I really think that is how people manage. It's a job that rightfully so, deserves to be critiqued. We're taking people's rights away. 
by arresting them or sending them to the hospital if they're not, you know, able to take care of themselves. And there's a lot of things that we do that normal people can't do. I really believe that it's fair to critique police officers, but on the other hand, some people over critique, I guess, is a, you know, lack of a better word. And it's like, well, why, you know, you called us here because you were in danger, but now that I'm putting my life on the line, you want to critique how I do things, right? So for me, it's very important to remember, you know, why I became a police officer. And it's to help people and, you know, especially helping people that are, um, they can't help themselves or they're being taken advantage of. So I, I want to be the person that steps in. And have you gotten to do that? Oh, yeah. I, I've gotten to do that a, a lot. And I think just being able to look back over my very short career of eight years, there are different stories that I think of or different incidents that I've been a part of. I feel I've made an impact in their lives. For me, that's very rewarding. Are there any in particular you that come to mind? Yeah, so th there's one within the past year. This woman called because her um, boyfriend or ex-boyfriend had been harassing her for like the past four or five days. He had been eluding police because she had called the police department. Every day he'd come to this specific hotel. Every time we get there, he takes off. So I pulled up his name. He had a very violent past, you know, rape and robbery and just somebody that should not be out and about, right? But he is, and he's harassing his ex-girlfriend. So I go out to the call to this hotel, and she answers the door. Her um, friend, who is a male, is also in the room, and very long story short, he basically was, you know, he showed up there. There's a no contact order, so he's not even supposed to be there to begin with. He forces his way into the hotel room, punches the male friend because he thinks they have like a relationship or something, so he gets jealous. So that automatically makes it a burglary in the state of Washington. I spoke with her and I, t I had her give me, you know, photographs of him. I emailed the photographs all over, you know, to the uh, other officers in the area. So I, I put her in contact with the victim advocates because she was moving out of that hotel room. She had nowhere else to go. She was homeless. We ended up finding her a good place to go. But in the meantime, while I spent like an hour and 15 minutes with her trying to like get all that situated, while I'm dealing with that, another unit told me that they found that guy. So we ended up arresting him, charging him with all these different crimes. And before I left, I remember she was, she was crying, you know, she was so thankful. And then she actually, she even asked me, she's like, can I give you a hug? So, you know, I was like, yeah, sure. So she gave me a hug. She was very thankful for not only like helping her find resources for, um, you know, housing and getting her out of that relationship, but also finding him. And she was legitimately scared of him. I kept in contact with her afterwards. She ended up telling me that a friend of hers had told her that he had been plotting to possibly murder her. So she was, you know, obviously kind of shaken up by that. That's just one of the, you know, I mean, that happens a good bit. I always try to go above and beyond for people because I think as police officers, we have a tendency to one call after the other, handle my call, let me go to the next one, handle my call, go to the next one. Um, You can get caught up in that and kind of forget that you're dealing with real people, with real situations that can cost lives 
which I mean, and I'm guilty. I do it too. You know, I, I get so caught up in the, you know, I have seven calls holding. I've got to get them all done, but some serious calls like that, and even you know, simple calls like burglaries. It's I have to remind myself sometimes that you know they call the police and they expect some sort of response. You know, try to remind myself of that. And these are the things that people these days forget about the extent that you do go to the care that you do give the care that you the concern that you feel so it's important to tell those stories you actually also reminded me that eric the bus driver we talked about has gone to great lengths and continues to go to great lengths to show his gratitude to you and your partner to the seattle police department and all law enforcement because the two of you saved his life but that thank you is is not a common thing Oh, no, no. Yeah, it, it's really not. Because I mean, that one woman that I just gave the example of, and I was not doing it for like praise or anything. I, I wanted to legitimately make sure that she was being taken care of. So the thank you means a lot. Oh, it, it really does. It, it, it means a lot because I think I think it helps remind police officers why they why they do what they do. One thing I did want to cover is what made you make the move from your department in Alabama to the Seattle Police Department? Obviously, the, the pay and the benefits. The huge factor for me, I was able to just lateral right over. I had moved, We moved up here in October, and I think like t- maybe two weeks after we moved up here, one of my friends at my old agency in Alabama had just gotten shot. He survived, but that was kind of the... I, you know, I love that agency. I, I really do. It was a really good agency, but they just, they didn't pay that great. And a whole lot of agencies in Alabama don't. And if you're risking your life, you know, I, I was like, you know, I, I want some better benefits and better pay for my family because God forbid anything happened. I want my family to be taken care of afterwards. For me, my friend getting shot that that was a really like a I made the right decision kind of kind of thing. Again, nothing against the agency that I worked for. I I love that agency and I love the people there, but benefits and and money wise, I feel like I made the best decision for my family. And then I would think coming from such a small area, then Seattle is a fairly large metropolitan city. That must have been exciting as a police officer. It it was. This is what's kind of strange though is the agency in Alabama is the most violent city in America per capita it's a it's a very violent place I mean we got a we had a lot of violent crime there I mean I think one of my last calls there was was a homicide where this dude just left the drug house he was executed in the middle of the street uh, that was one of my last calls there I've actually I had gone to probably more shootings at that agency than I had at Seattle. Wow. So you've seen a lot. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) And now the Seattle Police Department is losing you. What has influenced your departure? I really did enjoy um, my time with Seattle PD. There were a few factors there. There's a lot of different policies that are in place that are very um, frustrating. For me, that just kind of I just dealt with it, turn a blind eye, turn my head to crime, the riots and stuff kind of started to put me over the edge, especially with my family. Because my wife, you know, she was she'd been wanting me to get out of Seattle for a little bit just because I'm a very proactive officer. I like to go out. 
I like to, you know, arrest people for crimes. I like to do stuff. And Seattle is not, it's, it's a, it's a place where crime goes unpunished. You know, it's very demoralizing, especially with somebody with my background and my upbringing of, you know, holding people accountable for their actions and somebody does something wrong you know, understand that there might be reasons why they do things, but still hold them accountable. And that's not the case in Seattle. And I mean, there's not just the police department or the the city council. It's, you know, a lot of different factors that play a part in it. If you're not the one enforcing the crime or keeping people from getting hurt, then who is? You're letting these people just walk away and it's being guised under the de-escalation well you de-escalated it by letting them walk away and no nothing happened and it's like okay well no use of force happened but that dude could have been wanted for this or that and you just let him walk away because you were afraid of if it would look bad if a cop got out with this dude for jaywalking and you know he had a warrant for whatever because that happens too you know I've had friends they get out with people and you know these dudes are wanted for serious crimes but they got out with him for jaywalking or something. And if the cop gets into this use of force with this guy, everybody's just going to look at the, oh, well, they just got out with him because he jaywalked. And then, no, they, they should have just let him walk away. And it's like, well, there's a lot more to the story than just jaywalking. And, you know, but that that's kind of the mindset. And, and it's not just the police department. Like I said, it's the citizens. It's everybody there. They're... They're kind of under this this idea that, well, it's a minor crime. It's not worth pushing the envelope, per se. So it's it's hard to protect people under those circumstances. It is. And this is, this is kind of secondhand, but my partner, we worked the Capitol Hill area. They called it the nightlife em- emphasis during the summers for the bars and stuff. You know, there was this guy, uh, African-American male, walking around grabbing females. Uh, sexually, I mean, it is what it is. He's sexually assaulting these females. And this female walked over to my partner and uh, I wasn't working this night, but he, you know, this is him telling me the story. She walks over and tells him, Hey, this, this gentleman just grabbed my, my buttocks. And so they found him cause he was just right up the road and they ended up trying to arrest him and stuff with it being an African-American male. And then my partner, who's a white male police officer, obviously you can imagine the tension that was created from this. And a lot of the bystanders who were yelling at them were insulting my friends who were you know, trying to make a legitimate you know, arrest. This dude was grabbing females. You can't do that. And I think that the sad part of the story is the initial victim who came to my friend and said, hey, this guy just grabbed me. There he is. The initial victim backed out and didn't want to do anything. You know, she she was kind of victimized again by this mob mentality of, oh, well, the police, the white police officers are arresting this black man for just walking down the street. But initially he was being arrested for sexually assaulting this woman. They had to end up releasing him. And who knows what he did after that, right? So when you deal with the with the kind of stuff that we deal with, you know, I, I've I've had the unfortunate calls. I, I've been on calls where you know I've you know I've watched a three month old pass away, right? And then I had to sit in the hospital room with the three month old 
that just lay there on, on the hospital bed to make sure that no other nurses or doctors go in and touch it, you know, after after it had passed away because it, it was officially a, a crime scene. And I, I don't wish that on anybody. How did the baby die? It was a SIDS incident. I've, I've gone to that. I, I've gone to another call where I, I forgot how old the boy was. I think eight or nine years old, passed away. I, I don't think any human should have to see a lot of the stuff that we see and that we have to deal with. And I, th- I think that's another thing that I, I really wish that the general public understood was, you know, if, if you call us because you and your neighbor are having your little dispute over the property lines, which I legit have gone to those calls and I get out there, but I just had to see a three month old pass away. And a lot of people don't understand that that's what police officers and, and firefighters and paramedics, we all deal with it as first responders. And you never know what a cop just came from. I, I try to be professional on every call, but, you know, as a police officer, if I just dealt with some tragic event, you know, where I saw somebody die or somebody was shot, you know, I just got done with a protest where I was called all these horrible names about how I love to shoot people and kill people and I can't just be like, well, hey, I'm done for the day. You know, I have to go answer other calls. And again, I try to be as professional as I can because I understand that being, you know, getting your house broken into, I mean, that's very invasion of privacy. I guess somebody came into your home and broke in. So I understand that. Well, what are you hoping for with your career moving forward? Well, you know, I, I, for my career, I I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I feel like I work for an agency now that, and not just an agency, but a community that is very supportive of their police officers. That's the reason why I chose to leave and come to the agency that I'm working for now is the community support where they're like, okay, we understand that people need help, but we also understand that there are dangerous people that need to be taken care of, and we want you to go out there and take care of those people. And being in Seattle, I loved it up there, but after being around that environment for so long, I, I wanted to go back to an agency and to a community that really supported the police. That's what I want in my career is just f- hopefully for the next 25, 30 years. You know, officer, best of luck with your next department. Thank you for being here today and telling me your story. Yeah, well, um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate, you know, you, you doing this giving you a perspective that it's someone that is not a police officer. I, I think really means a lot to police officers that somebody that you know, a civilian is coming in and asking us questions and getting the perspective of police officers and then giving it to everybody else. Because a lot of the things that we go through, you, you can't really, we don't really want to discuss. And a lot of the things we, we can't discuss because they're under investigation or, you know, whatever. But things that we can discuss, it's just nice to have somebody that's not a cop come in and ask us questions and then kind of give it to everybody else. Well, I appreciate that. That's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. And if it makes a difference to you and other officers, one officer at a time, that's what I will do.